At the end of my semesters in seminary, I would carve out this corner spot of our living room couch to complete my final work. It would quickly become a sea of papers, printed essays and books jumbled together in this pile of study as I put my mind to the task of weaving together a semester's worth of work. And it was here that I would lose my body for days, bent over a computer screen, legs twisted into uncomfortable positions, eyes strained from staring at a screen, hungry, thirsty, my mind running over the final product. Was it good enough? Were my citations correct? Did it meet the assignment criteria? Anxious and weary, I would finally close my eyes and hit send. And all that thinking, writing, and reading would disappear as if magic into the internet ether. And then I'd participate in this ritual of putting the space to write. I'd collect the books, take out any post-it notes that were inside them, run my hands over their covers, some smooth and glossy, others rough and hard, and then walk around the house, putting them back on the shelves they'd return to. I'd sort the stacks of paper, essays I'd printed into one pile for filing, and old drafts of papers into another for recycling. My body would putter around the house for a good hour as I settled into this embodied satisfaction of what I'd accomplished. There was something revealing about this final act. After all this time spent with my learning up here, it felt good to engage with it through my body. There was learning still to be had that could only be done in the quiet movements of tending to this sacred space in the corner of my living room. Of all the things I had read, studied, and written, there was integration that happened through my body that folded all that learning into something that I'd take with me, turn it into something new for how I lived my life or understood my path and formation. However we might understand or name the holy, that mysterious and connective force in the universe that brings us out of our individual lives and concerns and orients us toward something greater. I believe, and maybe some of you do too, that it speaks to us in some way. It calls us. It has something to say. In the small voice here and in the bonds of community and in our natural world, there is a greater story being told all around us. This morning, I'd like to explore this notion of revelation, of how the holy and sacred speaks to us as it relates to these bodies we are in. And I know that the body is a tender subject. There are ways that it brings us joy and fulfillment, 
and also brings us limitation, challenge, and pain. As Frank shared a few weeks ago, our bodies remind us that we are creatures too, that being human is both beautiful and messy. Our bodies are complicated, but they are also the place out of which we live these lives. Experience the offerings of a sensory world. So what if the body and the human experiences that arise out of it offer something more than just a container, but rather the touchstone, the anchor, the pivot point that opens us to, wait to the ways that this life is speaking and offers us an invitation for how to live in this world? Our UU faith is often criticized for being too rational and intellectual. And while reason and intellect are central to keeping alive a free faith, the body can often be obscured and overlooked. Embodied features of faith like prayer and ritual sometimes struggle to fit into a faith that wants to think its way toward answers to our foundational life questions. Why are we here? To what or whom do we belong? And how do we make change in this world? And I will raise my hand as the first person that falls prey to this. I am so often looking for the answers to these questions up here. And honestly, I have found stirrings and suggestions of that something greater through reading and study, for sure. Seminary, with its rigorous academic expectations, exposed me to so many profound and, yes, revelatory writings and teachings of how the holy works in the world. And yet, sometimes it feels like an escape or at the very least incomplete, spending too much time up here. Theologian Luke Timothy Johnson wrote a book called The Revelatory Body. And in it, he, he writes, the human experience in the body is the preeminent arena for God's self revelation in the world. Theology, or how we understand the spiritual side of life, he says, must always begin and find renewal, not with words found in texts, but with the experience of actual human bodies. And we, you use, we affirm this, direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder is one of our expressed sources of our living faith. But what does this mean for us? Certainly most of us are not expecting or even believe that revelations like Moses found in the desert with the burning bush are going to come down from heaven and direct our lives. So is this notion of revelation even useful? But I would offer, and I would offer that maybe it's simpler than that, that there is an everydayness to revelation. It shows up in small ways and through these bodies and our experiences, where we are invited to practice our living faith, recenter, 
renew, and reorient around the inspirations that arise out of our bodies to reflect on and integrate some greater meaning and purpose for our lives. My first class in seminary was called Embodying the Kingdom, and it focused on the role of the physical body in our faith lives. We began class each morning with a series of body prayers. Introduced to us by Episcopal priest Margaret Bullet Jonas, the prayer series involved four gestures. First was this, our hands at heart center, which represented groundedness and centering. The next was this, our hands cupped outward, which represented a small offering something that we could extend beyond ourselves. Next was arms crossed over chest that represented the need to receive and be held. And lastly, this, this motion of giving it all away with the joy and exuberance of life. So first we centered, then we offered, then we received, and then we gave it all away. But the invitation wasn't to merely go through these prayer motions in rote succession or give them equal time, but to listen to our bodies. Did we want to stay in one motion a little longer than the others? Maybe after centering and grounding, we were filled with exuberance and joy and wanted to spend the time giving it away. Maybe we were world-weary and exhausted and just needed to receive the whole time. It was a powerful practice, and my body would often tell me something about where I was at, not only in that moment, but in my life. What motion was I drawn to and why? And the answers to these questions would often translate into action. Mornings when I'd linger with my arms across my chest, my body told me that I needed to take care, to slow down and be gentle with my day. Other mornings when I found myself giving it away might translate into taking greater risks using that well of joy and gladness toward trying something new or finding deeper connection with those around me. The body revealed the understory, as Mark Nepo spoke about in our reading. Not the one I was telling myself, but rather the one I was in. And the other beautiful thing about this practice was that we did this as a group we could experience each other's prayers. We could see each other's bodies and what they were drawn to, their holdings and their concerns. And this mattered to my own body. It set my own experience of reality, my own story, alongside those of others, each with their particular and unique experience of life in that moment. We must not forget that our bodies are subjective. And even as we listen to them, 
we must also face the limits of our own singular experiences as the sole representation of truth in the world. This is particularly true when we consider our work to build a multicultural and beloved community. This building is not an intellectual endeavor, not something we can realize up here. We can read and study how to do this, but until we encounter and live amongst the diversity of bodies and experiences that are, that are in our midst, this work is incomplete. If we are to live out our collective principles to create a more inclusive, just, and sustainable world, we need every body. We need to be among other bodies. And we need to listen to the stories they are telling us. We can't rely solely on our own perspectives, those stories we tell ourselves, where we are the main character, where power and privilege is so often centered. The stars resist the darkness they rely on. The fish struggle with and against the current, and hawks glide faster when their wings don't move. Herein is an invitation to resist the urge to center our own selves, but rather open to the larger story, the larger revelation that we are a part of, that is being told to us all around us, is being revealed even when we may try to resist it. And this story is a greater one than that of our individual human bodies and the bodies of our communities. On this Earth Day weekend, it is also the story of the Earth body that is our home. I have had so many rich conversations these last months about the coming of spring and how nurturing and hope-filling this time of year is how the earth reveals to us that things can change, that birth and growth are possible even in these most challenging times. Just as I needed to be in my body at the end of the semester and let it work on settling and integrating my learning, so too do we need to be in the earth body. Let it do its sacred work of settling and integrating us into the larger ecosystems that we are a part of. The earth body reveals and reminds us of what is possible and also what isn't. It is telling us in this moment a story, one that often runs counter to the one we tell ourselves, a story of pain and devastation, of warming and points of no return. Sometimes what is revealed to us, that fuller story, is painful and uncomfortable and holds us accountable for how we move our bodies through this life. And here I wonder, what do we do with what has been revealed to us? When those revelations fill us with inspiration and clarity, and also when those revelations fill us with sadness, anger, and despair. How do we embody them 
in the world. Next week, we are going to explore a new worship theme of creativity. And our arts ministry group is going to be leading the worship service and offer us ways to engage our bodies in collective acts of creation. And there's this beautiful bridge here between embodiment and creativity, I think, that gives us some idea of what to do with revelation. At its core, isn't creation and creativity this sacred act of taking what is revealed to us and then turning it into something new? But until then, let this be an invitation to rest in the beauty and the messiness of our bodies, to rest among each other's bodies and the body of this great spinning globe. In the resting, let us notice for what they might be saying, what grounding, what offering, what receiving and giving calls us calls through us, up out of our minds and into our skin and bones. Let us putter around our houses, our communities, and our natural world, paying attention to how our bodies might put to right the jumbled pile of ideas and attempts and concerns that we have built up in our corners. Know that our study is not complete until we rest into the holding of a night sky, set our still wings to the air, or swim among the gentle, constant pulsing of a stream that moves us along. Let these embodied moments wake up our senses, carry us through ourselves so that we might learn ourselves learn each other and this great earth. This understory of experience that tells us, reveals to us the story we are in that keeps telling us. And may we hold this question, what might we do with what is revealed? <laughs>